Welcome to another edition of ATL Prime Sports. I'm JJ Jurjevich. Joining me this evening is the one, the only Todd Corder on the other side of Atlanta. And of course, our fabulous producer, Wayne Ridenauer in Memphis, Tennessee. And we have a guest co-host tonight, the new PA announcer for the Rome Braves, Larry Gardner, high school play-by-play and color commentary, and also NBA writer for OT Heroics. Let's find our personal Twitters at ATL Prime Sports for all of us. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Myself, personals, uh, JJ, get you one. At RWY Junior, at Quarter Todd, and at LG4 Realvo. That's LG, the number four, R-E-A-L-T-H-O for our guest co-host, Larry Gardner. And how's everyone doing? I'll start with you tonight, Larry. Welcome to the show, and how you doing, man? Great to be on with you guys, JJ. I'm doing wonderful, and I'm excited to be helping to host this wonderful podcast and just excited for all of the different things that are happening in our lives as well, man. Good to be on with you guys. Absolutely. TC, how you doing tonight, buddy? Doing great, Larry. Congratulations on the new job with the Rome Braves. I know you you came so far to become the Atlanta Braves public address announcer. Uh, You won the fan vote. Uh, You probably finished, we'll just give it second place uh, overall. And uh, you just, you were right there and you almost won it. You almost became the uh, public address announcer for the Atlanta Braves. But you know what? You'll start with Rome and you'll work your way up. And before long, you will be in Atlanta or maybe you'll be with another major league organization. Or maybe you step outside of Major League Baseball and go to pro basketball or the NHL or the NFL. You certainly have the voice for it, my friend. Oh, thank you so much. How you doing tonight, buddy? Is there you talking to me? Yeah, Wayne, how you doing, buddy? We got to get everybody's how you doings in. All right, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, You know, the NASCAR season has started uh, two weeks ago. A couple of winners, uh, but leading the points is Ross Chastain. You might remember him from doing the video game maneuver uh, in one of the later races last season where he scraped up against the wall. So him and Trackhouse Racing are still on track and doing well. Yeah, we're excited to have you, Larry. Again, another congratulations. And that brings us to our first topic, which is about you, Larry Gardner. Uh, our, our guest co-host today was a finalist for the Braves PA job, if you hadn't already known listeners. Larry, what was that experience like being a finalist for the Braves job? And now it's obviously curtailed into the Rome Braves PA job. What was that experience like from start to finish, man? You had a great audition. I voted for you on both accounts. And we loved your audition, man. It was great to hear your voice and see you, see you do your thing. Yeah, man, it was uh, quite the experience, to say the least. Uh, the whole thing it started with a message from one of our high school teachers here who sent me the link to the 11 Alive story that said they were holding open auditions at Braves Fest. And so it was up to me to get down there the next day. And my, my son was like, Dad, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do it. So we get there. We, we put our audition in. Uh, most everybody stopped to hear me say what I had to say. And it began from there. I took the video that they sent me, I uh, put it on Twitter, and it went viral. And from that point, most of the professional ones, you know, the West Durham's, the Steve Holman's, the Ryan Cameron's, were all ch- chiming in and was like, bro, if you would just slow down just a little bit, I think you got yourself a job. So that was, if you ever seen my audition and you saw me counting, I was going three, two, one in between each audition, I mean, between each name. That was a mental clock in my head for me to slow down. But the entire process was nothing short from just, it was a miracle. It really was because you get the viral video, you go to Truist in your audition, you get local radio announcers to begin to say your name specifically out loud. And then to have the backing and the support from Braves country to just say, Hey, Larry, man, we love the way you sounded. And we, we were rooting for you to get the gig and whatnot. And, and then when they made the final announcement, of course, last Friday, it wasn't what we were hoping. But another door came uh, about during the process. Most of these that I've gotten from Twitter today said, is Alex Anthopoulos strikes again, making sure you're getting lead control for the next six years. You know, so it was extremely funny, you know, and I, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. A lot of exposure came about as a result of the process. And like Todd said earlier, you don't ever know what door may open as a result of the exposure. Not only that, but 
the result of my performance there in Rome. So it was an amazing experience. Kudos to everybody involved and everybody in Braves country who supported me and voted for me and rooted for me. It ain't it ain't the end. It's only the beginning, man. Well, we're glad to have you here tonight, man. What's on tap for tonight, listeners, with our guest co-host Larry Garner, the latest on former UGA defensive tackle Jalen Carter. Situation has gotten to be alarming at this point, to say the least. The new MLB rule changes have already affected spring training. Our thoughts on that. NFL draft questions for the Falcons and the Bears. And the Hawks' newest head coach, Quinn Snyder, is he the guy to get Trey Young to the top? All that and more right here. Let's go ahead and start off with these MLB rule changes, and we'll just have a roundtable discussion on it. Bray's spring training is underway, and so are the new MLB rule changes, which have already affected the outcome of an exhibition game involving our Bravos. Fellas, what do you think of the new MLB rule changes, and how will they affect the game moving forward? I'm anxious to hear what Larry has to say. Larry, tee this one off, man. Be glad to. So far, I'm still in a TBD to be determined. I like it as far as eliminating some of the unnecessary things that transpired during an at-bat between the pitchers and and, and the, the person that's at-bat. But for certain moments that you need to allow to have some room to breathe, you know, you you hate to get to a point to where it's, the, the clock is going, you hit a home run, and you got to sprint around the bases to get back in so the next person can go right after that and get back into the batter's box, you know. I think a lot of those things are going to be just like when the shot clock was introduced into basketball and people really didn't like it and it took some getting used to. For me, I want to see how it plays out during the season. You really can't – you don't have enough to judge off of here in spring training to be able to see what it's really going to be like. Let me get to about the all-star break, and then I'll be able to kind of tell you if I think this thing is going to – do what, I, what it needs to do, or if it's just going to be another one like the ghost runner on second base that they need to trash and put somewhere in the back pocket. TC, your thoughts. Uh, I, I stuck with this one first because we all know Jalen Carter's coming, and that that's a big story. But I'm interested to hear everybody's thoughts on this because it did affect the Braves right out the gate. Manny Machado had a strike called on him, but the Braves is what took the cake because it ended the game. Your thoughts on the way the Braves game ended and your opinion on the MLB rule changes think we'll have similar thoughts on this one, buddy. Uh, ridiculous. Um, he thought he walked. Uh, he started going towards first base. The, uh, the Atlanta Braves player ended up being a strikeout because he wasn't ready in the box in time. I, You know, baseball has been played well over 100 years. This has never happened. We've never had a pitch clock. We don't need a pitch clock. The umpire is the one that can get the game going. All he's got to do is tell the batter, let's go. And and and, and if that pitcher's in the windup, that batter better be ready or it's going to be a strike regardless. The, the umpire, the rule is not needed. The umpire can control the pace of the game between the pitcher and the batter to get them going. That's one. Two. Any major league pitcher who's worth his salt will, will, won't have any problem getting the ball and going because that's what great pitchers do. You don't want your fielders standing around waiting for you to throw the next pitch. So I don't think that's going to be a big problem. Maybe some of the other pitchers will struggle at first until they get used to it. I think it'll affect the batter more than the hitter because the batter likes to step out more often, adjust the gloves, and et cetera. So to me, uh, are we, uh, we're doing one rule at a time, so I'll stick with a pitch clock rule. I don't think this rule is going to have a big effect, but once it gets through tra- uh, spring training and the season starts, players will get used to it and they'll adjust pretty quick. Uh, they say the game it's going to, you know, the game's going to be about 20 minutes quicker or whatever. We'll find out because there's there's another rule in here that I predict that, and we'll get to that as we go to the other rule. We'll just take it one at a time. So to me, yeah. at this point, I, I'm winning. I I just don't think it's going to be a big deal unless you're a pitcher that's really struggling. 
I'm indifferent on the rules. I'm like Larry. Uh, do I like them up front? No, but you know I'm going to let them play out. See see how they affect the game. Right now, obviously, I don't like it. Manny Machado said it best. Looks like I'll be starting off 0-1 quite a bit this season. <laughs> so you know, here's the deal. If these players just start going, you know, I'm going to start out 0-1. I'm going to take my time. We saw Pete Alonso sprint in. Uh, Mets first baseman Pete Alonso sprint in. I mean, literally finish the third out, sprint in, get in, and he does this pre-bat meditation thing. So he's trying to get his meditation in. You can see him breathing, doing his breathing exercises, and then he steps in with eight seconds left, and he just booms a home run. So I think players are just going to have to adjust. Um, I don't like how the way Conley, the Braves player, ended the the game. I, I think in spring training, uh, especially it being the first couple days of it, I thought they would be a little, uh, you know, give them a second or two. Like the NFL, look, it, it's it, and I'm comparing sports here. When the play clock hits zero, the line judge, you have about an extra half second because the line judge has to turn his head from the double zeros to the snap. And if it's snapped in that time frame, well, the play counts. So similarity if it gets into the eight, seven second range, the umpire is going to have to give a little leeway if the guy's half and half, if he's kind of moving. Like, I think it's going to have to become a little bit of a judgment call because you're going to have to give some players some time to get ready. I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to be emergency situations. And then this is my last comment. If this is designed to speed up the game, let's see how long it takes to enforce the strike and move on to the next batter, is that actually longer than just letting the actual strike play out in normal time? That's my question, and we'll go on to the other couple rules here. The bigger bases, I'm all for the bigger bases, but only at first base. Come on. I, I, I don't. The third base, to me, is unnecessary to make it three inches bigger. I think the first base, if you really want to do this, put the orange bag on it. Like softball here. I mean, it's bright. It makes it easier on umpires for bang-bang plays. And it keeps the dimensions of the field the same. Um, am I missing a rule here that we want to talk about, Todd? I, I, I think those no, are the no, ones. No, that... no, no. We'll take one at a time. And, 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 and JJ, I'm glad you mentioned it. You, you know, we all to go back to the pitch clock for folks that don't know. You, you have 15 seconds. Um, if nobody's on, you have 20 if you have a runner on base. There will also be a 30-second clock for pitchers between batters. Getting to the base part, um, the larger bases, uh, I like what you said. Put a safety base at first base. Baseball has been played over 100 years. We've always had a perfect dimension in the field, and now you're wrecking it. And uh, to me, it's not going to – the bigger bases aren't going to make the game any safer. I do not think so at all. The players are bigger, stronger, faster. You're still going to have the collision. I'm with you. Have it only at first base. Have a safety base to avoid the collision because it's just not necessary at second and third, and that way you can keep the, the perfect uh, field uh, configuration in baseball intact. Wayne, you uh, you had a quick thought on the MLB rule changes, and then I'll go back to Larry real quick. Well, regardless of which rule we're going to talk about, I really think they should have implemented some of these rules in uh, some minor league uh, games instead of just jumping straight on to Major League Baseball. Just to give not give not. Oh, they they did do that. Yeah, it was done in the minor last year. Okay, well, yeah, if if that's. If if that's what they did, then that's really my only issue. Is I, I like for them to do things uh, slowly instead of jumping right in, unless it's a safety issue, which I don't know that there's much in baseball that's a safety issue. Yes. Yeah, so, so so get this, Wayne. This year, and I held up my Gwinnett Stripers cup because the AAA Braves organization, the Gwinnett Stripers in Lawrenceville, Georgia, will be having robot umpires this year. So. Get ready for maybe that one coming down the pipeline in the near future. Larry, your your thoughts on the bigger bases? I'm like you guys, and I've said this from the jump with the bigger bases. You only needed it first because that's where your bang-bang collisions are, the majority of anyway, when you're going to trying to get out and you want to get instant replay. It helps out everybody involved. Second base, you don't need it. Third base, definitely don't need it. And 
I'm kind of like tied with there. It just, I think people are trying to come up with something to change just to be in the art of changing and not for the betterment of the game. Because I don't think baseball has a time problem. I think it has an entertainment problem. Because a football game lasts three hours, three and a half hours, and nobody cares about how fast or how slow it's going because there's consistent entertainment on the on the field of play. Baseball, you have so much going on in between then that you lose people. And I think it's the bigger issue is not the rules that are trying to be implemented to speed up the game. I just think that there needs to be ways to continue to keep people engaged during the, on the field during during play. And I think if you could come up with that solution, then we've all got a win-win uh, Larry, that's a, Larry, that is the you hit. That is a hell of a point because see, this to me isn't going to speed up the game. You you got to get more action in the game, and, and when you get more action in the game, the game will make more money. So any decision they make. You always go from any sport, from peewee to the pros, you follow the money. Well, think about it. They're trying to get more action in the game. And, and the last, we'll go to the one of the rules. We'll just go right to it if you don't mind, JJ. This is, uh, you're talking about action. This one here is going to affect, is going to be the biggest effect of all. And this one, is, this one is when you've got a runner on first base, you can only make two throws over. Okay, well, could you imagine Ricky Henderson back in the day? Okay, you've thrown twice, I'm gone. He stole 90 to 100 bases a season without these rules. He'd steal 150 with these. So the third one, you, you got to get them out or on the third throw, or they go to stay automatically get second base. To me, this changes the game drastically. I know they want more stolen bases. I, 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 I get that. But this is the wrong way to go about it. If you want to go about it the right way, Larry and JJ and Wayne, how about back up the uh, make make push the fences back, raise the mound a little bit. The ball will come in quicker. The players will have a chance to shorten their strokes, hit the ball the other way, and you'll start seeing more doubles and triples. And naturally, speed will come back into the game. This way, you're forcing it. To me, you don't force it this way. It's wrong, and Larry, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Thank you. Yeah, and then obviously the last rule is the shift ban. Uh, I think that's a good move for what we just talked about, the action, and that transitions perfectly into that rule. The action is what Major League Baseball wants, and this shift ban will really help players like Freddie Freeman, where if you look at his spray chart, and half of his outs seem like they're right there to second base, right there to second base, right in that shift where that third base or that shortstop will come over and play that rover position there. So um, you might see the action increase in that aspect, and that's basically the final rule change. Guys, your thoughts on the shift ban? I personally, I love it. I think it's great. Keep two men on each side of second base. Yeah, I guess I'll go first here. You know what? I'll just go ahead and go first on this, JJ. Because if you do take the shift, if you do force the infielder to have, you know, two on each side and your foot's got to be in the dirt, then, you know, what they're going to do is if a guy's strictly a pole hitter, they're just going to bring a fifth infielder in and one's going to play in right center and the other one's going to play in left center. So this ultimately may force the individual to learn to hit the ball the other way. So I'm kind of mixed on it. Um, you're going to see five infielders, and there's no question. And, you know, the shift, if the, if the players would have learned to hit the ball the other way instead of this pull-happy launch angle stuff, then we wouldn't be in this position we're in today. I agree. Or just bunt it down the third baseline. Larry, your thoughts on this uh, shift ban real quick, and then we'll get into the Jalen Carter situation. No, you're good, man. I, I love it because it, it's going to force hitters to be hitters again. But I think what the counter, the counter action to that is, is kind of like what Todd was saying. You're going to start seeing the shift take place in the outfield where if we're talking Atlanta Braves, you'll see Ronnie come in. If you're talking about a left-handed hitter, you'll see Ronnie come in and then Michael Harris will shift over and then whoever in left, be it Rosario or whoever, will shift. So you'll have a left center and a right center and then the right fielder will be the extra infielder but he'll be playing on the grass. So I think it's, I think 
the counteraction will be kind of like a chess game, but the ultimate goal of it all is I think it'll be better. I think you'll start seeing a little bit more of the dribble hits. I do think it'll continue to get a little bit more action into the game. And um, especially with, and I, I hate to keep focusing on Atlanta, but with that lineup, with that potency, it's going to make Atlanta probably one of the most potent hitting teams in the league to take half those shifts away from people who are dominantly pull hitters. I agree with that. Guys, any final thoughts on the MLB rule changes? Wayne, Larry, TC, anyone? I have one. We didn't talk about the restrictions for players, for position players is used as pitchers. Position players may only take the mound if the game is in extra innings. His team is trailing by eight or more runs at any point, or his team is winning by at least 10 in the ninth inning. I mean, honestly, I don't like rules that tell managers what the hell they can and cannot do. I'm really not being that wants to stick out and position player in the fifth inning and pitch. That's his business. And the other one here, the one that drives me bat crazy, is putting the automatic runner on second base in the extra innings. We can all thank COVID for this garbage. I don't like it all. Thank God they're not doing it in the playoffs. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's going to be a new Major League Baseball for sure moving forward in 2023. Let's get to the juiciest story right now in all of sports. Former defensive tackle for the national championship, Georgia Bulldogs, back-to-back national championship Bulldogs at that, has had a arrest warrant out for his arrest for reckless driving and racing in connection with, uh, I think, the January 15th crash that killed his teammate and a Georgia staffer. Uh, Todd, I'll let you tee this one off, man. Uh, This has become the biggest story in sports, and there is a lot of fingers to this. Let's stick with the facts here. Todd, tee this one off, man. Well, we're going to have to go back a little bit. So, folks that don't know, uh, you you mentioned, um, you know, Devin Willock was an offensive lineman for Georgia. He was killed in the crash. And then also Chandler LaCroix, uh, LaCroix who happened to be a, a uh, recruiting staffer, uh, she was also killed in the crash. And then, of course, Jalen Carter as you know, now has been involved in another car because they were racing. Carter was racing his 2021 Jeep Trackhawk against the 2021 Ford Exhibition driven by the recruiting officer, LaCroix. So, you know, this, this, this is so unfortunate in so many ways. I don't understand. I need to go back to September real quick, if I may. There was a red flag back in September when when Jalen drove over 80 miles an hour, and nothing was done then, at least nothing we know in public. And, and, and now you get to this situation, you find out on the day, one of the biggest potential days of your professional career, Jalen Carter, who was in Indianapolis at the NFL scouting combine instead of talking to nfl scouts and folks from other or nfl organizations you have to go back to atlanta to answer charges of uh reckless uh driving uh and and racing in connection with the crash had you told the truth in the first place and you lied more than one time according to reports now your character comes into real it comes into issue. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm going to take it from a football standpoint. Now your character is 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 in is in question. You left an accident where your teammate was thrown from the vehicle, and you left the accident. Why would you leave? Now you can't control what happened. But you can surely control what happened afterwards. And to me, where's the remorse? Where is the remorse? Um, your questionable character that you lied to the police. Um, you know, this is all so disturbing. There's a lack of accountability here. And now, 
an NFL organization is going to make you a number one draft pick, potentially, you're going to make, what, between 20 and $40 million? You're going to be the face of an NFL organization with this on you? I'm an NFL team. I'm running, and I'm running far away from this. You do not want this. This is going to affect his draft status. And honestly, I want I want the police to find out for the victim's family because honestly, I don't care about his draft status right now. Um, you know, to me, this this is this is really despicable, and it shows the person's true character. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in right here, and I'll go to you, Larry, if you don't mind. Uh, look, Todd McShay came out, what, it was a month ago, and said, this guy's got character issues. Everybody barked back at him, what do you mean, what do you mean, what do you mean? Maybe he had an ace up his sleeve of some information. And this is a character information, uh, character flaw, and a red flag, and a... Uh, I think an anonymous GM already said that's a red flag for us right there. So you mentioned the remorse. Uh, he he lied three times. At first he said he was behind the car. Then he said he was in front of the car. And then one time he said he wasn't even there. He heard the wreck from a apartment complex. So Jalen Carter, you know, um, being young as I have been before, in situations like that, you get scared, and that's no excuse to act like that. But I hope the truth really does come out. Jalen Carter posted on social media, I don't know which one, saying he would be cleared of all charges, all wrongdoing. Um, so that's his personal statement. Uh, take that for whatever you want to. But right now, the facts are this. Jalen Carter, arrest warrant issued on one of the biggest days of his career. In connection with, unfortunately, the death of a UGA staffer and a former teammate, and two others were injured in that case. Another NFL possible NFL draft pick, and Warren McClendon was in the back of one of the cars. This has just gotten to be an absolute crazy story. Um, there are so many facts that will come out in the next couple hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever it takes. Athens Clark County still investigating. They will get down to the bottom of this. What I want to know is what the 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 initial reports were from the AJC, Chip Towers, and all these guys made it seem like it was just a car wreck when they were the ones that released all this footage of them racing. So that, look, I'm sticking to the facts here. I'm not making any judgments on Jalen Carter or anyone in the Georgia football program right now. But this smells fishy, and that's all I can say about it. Larry, I want to hear your opinions on this, and we'll move on from this. No, you guys have covered it to, to the T and to the letter, and I agree wholeheartedly. If you, and I hate to say it like this, but we've all been 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and we've all done our share of lying before. And we've all heard the story where when you tell one lie, you got to tell another lie to cover that lie. And another lie to cover that lie to the point to where you you lied so much you can't even believe what the truth is. Well, oh. I I think we're we're at that point to where you have told so many lies to now you don't know what the truth is, and then the lawyer is going to have a hard time being able to fight for you because you can't even tell what the truth is. And then to uncover that the fact that Lacroix had a blood alcohol limit that was twice the legal limit to begin with. In an expedition, now everybody, you know what an expedition is. This is big, 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 big SUV. Big vehicle. <laughs> trying to race an expedition in the middle of the street anyway. So obviously bad decisions were made by everybody involved. I just hate that it all come to fruition and, and details are being uncovered on the date it was supposed to be one of the biggest days of his life. But we always told him you can only cover a mound of boo-boo so long before it begins to stink. And and now you're you're starting to catch the smelling end of, of of something that had been trying to be buried for quite a long time. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. It's a stain on the UGA national championship because look, the, 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 and again, in the, in the end of the article, Jamon Dumas Johnson was arrested for reckless driving in, in the same time frame. So what's going on with Georgia? and athletes driving. Uh, TC, I think I heard you try and get in for a final thought. 
No, I was going to say, you're right. He was arrested uh, on February 22nd on charges of reckless driving and racing related to the separate incident. You're correct. Here's the deal. You know, Mike Griffith, as you know, JJ, with Dog Nation, came out and said, there's a sense of entitlement with this program. I mean, this isn't the only off-season incident we've had. Um, You know, you had it with Stetson Bennett, who should have been at the senior ball, and instead he was knocking on doors, intoxicated with his cell phone, knocking on strangers' doors. So, you know, he ended up getting in trouble. Instead, he should have been at the senior bowl. Now, I know he was there training in Dallas and et cetera, but, you know, this is a big stain on the program. And, 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 and what are recruiting staffers doing with players Drinking and racing with players. That's what I want to know. And and the program needs, honestly, a look at from the top to the bottom while this stuff is going on. And, it, you know, it's to me, it's the whole thing is, is, is pathetic. I mean, it's as pathetic as it gets. And my my thoughts and prayers are with the victims, and I hope we get justice for their families. Yeah, it, it's absolutely crazy. Uh, point of the matter, folks, uh, Jalen Carter right now is being charged with two misdemeanors. That's the facts. We have two loss of life, and uh, my prayers are with the, those those losses of life, uh, LaCroix and Wilcox, and uh, let's move on, get some, uh, some pep in our step. Let's talk about the Falcons. And the Bears, they have some serious questions this offseason. What do they do in this upcoming draft? Larry, I'm anxious to hear you. We all down here in the Atlanta area are familiar with Justin Fields from his high school time to his time at Georgia playing in the national championship to transfer into Ohio State to maybe being a Falcons player there when Matt Ryan was struggling. Everybody's like, are they going to move up and get him? What are your thoughts on what the Bears should do with that number one pick? Do they keep Justin Fields, trade the pick, and build around him? Or do you think Bryce Young is that dude, and they go and trade Justin Fields and get Bryce Young? What do you think, Larry? Uh, If they trade Justin Fields, I think they're nuts. And that's just being honest. If and, and I'll give you two two phases with it. If they do decide to trade him, I hope it is going to get them a a a, ple- a plethora of picks, sort of like what San Francisco had to give up in order to move up to number three a couple of years ago to get Trey Lance. That would be the only advantage for them trading that pick. Justin can do what he needs to do, and I liken it if if the Falcons were to try to do something that crazy. I like what the Falcons have with Desmond Ritter, man. I'm telling you, people, the only reason Matt Ryan wasn't as successful as he could have possibly been is because he never had a defense his entire career in Atlanta. The same principle can apply for Chicago. You've got a quarterback that that is able to at least sustain you, but what do you have defensively? Well, your best defensive player in Roquan Smith is just gone. So now what what do you do to build a defense? And everybody is so, so cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs over numbers that they want to do everything that drives fantasy stats. Well, you still need a good defense. And we saw that this year here, even with the Super Bowl with Philadelphia and with Kansas City, you still need a good defense. If I'm Chicago, I stay put unless somebody's going to come up and offer me the world. And even if they do, it's not Bryce Young I'm going after C.J. Stroud. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So you're staying put. Uh, drafting the best player available or uh, who you think uh, made the best team. See, that's the thing. Jalen Carter was arguably that that dude right there. So what do you do if you're Chicago TC? I'll throw it to you. And and this is where that uh, comes pretty, back into play. It's pretty simple. If you're the Bears, you already have the quarterback in the future in Justin Fields. I mean, you, you look at Chicago's defense, they gave up 463 points this season. Uh, that's a ton. And I'm not sure if anybody gave up any more points than the Bears. Uh, When I look at it here, that answer is no. So your defense was the worst in the NFL and points against. You have Justin Fields who really shined this year 
in spots with the Bears, they look, they need help all over. It just isn't on the defensive side of the ball. It's on the offensive side of the ball. And on the Bears, I keep – Justin Fields is my guy going forward, and I trade the first pick of the draft, and I get multiple picks in the first round, and I build me a football team, and I don't worry about the other quarterbacks. It, it's that simple. You've got the number one pick. You've got the number one pick. There are several teams that would love the number one pick, and they want the quarterback. You have the quarterback. Therefore, it's all in your hands. You can get multiple picks by trading down and getting multiple players. Uh, you know, Justin Fields was not only the leading passer for Chicago, but he was the leading rusher for, for the Bears. He rushed for almost 1,200 yards this year. So you've got the quarterback. You need to get pieces on each side of the football. And the way you get pieces is by trading down and getting several pieces. Yeah, we, Todd, you and I have a similar force uh, uh, opinion on that. Larry, I, I agree with you. I think C.J. Stroud is the better quarterback and uh, prospect. And I'm with you guys. If I'm the Bears, I was adamant on drafting Jalen Carter. Now you arguably cannot do that, which maybe be able to save some teams some money if they draft them later on. But here's the deal. You could draft an unbelievable player at number one overall, and that could be a wide receiver. Because let's take a look at the wide receiver room in Chicago. Mooney, Claypool, and St. Brown. If you're a fantasy football player, those guys were... Middle of the pack, Claypool's a good number two. You don't have a number one wide receiver. You could trade that pick back to, let's say, oh, I don't know, maybe eight. There's a team there sitting at eight that might need a quarterback that says, I can be that guy. So who knows what's really going to take place there, but I do think they could use that pick for a wide receiver and kind of knock everybody out of the water with it. Um, but who knows? The best move, I, I'm with UTC, would be to trade back, get an unbelievable amount of draft capital, build around Justin Fields because the guy can run the football. You mentioned his 1,200 yards rushing. That was like seventh in the NFL, top 10 in the NFL, and he's a quarterback. Um, and that's, that's what he does. That's his, that's his aspect. And let's face it, the triple option is right in front of us in the NFL with the run-pass option. It's right there. It's very similar. Paul Johnson's just smacking himself on the back going, look what I can do if I had this and I had this quarterback. I'm just teasing a little bit. But it's there. The triple option, the run-pass option, quarterback can run it, hand it off, or throw it, and that's basically the triple option right there. He can do it. He's the triple threat. Give him one more year with another wide receiver and Cole Komet, I think he can do some pretty good things. So maybe they spend number one overall which would be pretty dicey, but they get the wide receiver that they want. Maybe it's Johnson from TCU who burned Georgia for a couple plays early on in that national championship. Maybe it's Jackson Smith and Jekba or Marvin Harrison Jr. There's some really good wide receiver talent out there, and it wouldn't surprise me if the Bears drafted it number one overall. Let's flip over to the Falcons. We're running out of time here. Falcons do have that eighth overall pick. But what's their potential on landing free agent quarterback Lamar Jackson, and is it a good move? Larry, I'll start with you, then I'll go to Todd, and we'll go to Wayne, and I'll finish this one out. Because I, I think this is very intriguing, because we, Larry, I, I'm with you. I think Ritter has a little something. You could build around him and maybe be pretty good. But you could bring a former MVP in here, and we all know what Seven did in the Georgia Dome and how electric he was. That's a very comparable type player to Mike Vick. What are your thoughts on the Falcons? If let's just say they acquire Lamar Jackson, are you in or no? No, I'm shooting. I'm shooting everybody in the front office. I'm kicking them out because it's going to cost fifty plus million dollars per year to get him. So you're talking about a franchise who's being who's been bankrupt in debt when it comes to the salary cap all these many years. You finally get Julio and Max money off the board. And then you got money to spend, and then you're gonna go dangle the first thing. And I know a lot of people are saying, well, they almost did the same thing to get Deshaun Watson. No, no, I don't need that. I want what I want is Desmond is a winner. 
He never lost a game at home. He's a winner. Give him this year. Let him do. Let him do what he does best. You see the production from Drake London as soon as Desmond got available. I can only wait and imagine to see what it's going to be like with him and Kyle Pitts together for an entire season. The Falcons need defensive help. They need it, and they need it in the worst way. If you can work a way to be able to get that and spend that money on defensive assets to help you grow that defense, help Grady out. Help these people out, you know. But, no, let Lamar stay Lamar. His stats, if you look at them, his stats this year before he got hurt was almost similar to Marcus Mariota. That's not giving me the production I needed, $50 million. I can get a great value quarterback to give me that. So, no, 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 no. I don't want nothing to do with Lamar Jackson. He looks good. He may put people in the seats at the Mercedes Benz. But give me Dez, let him do what he does, and let's build this team organically. Todd, you feel the same way? Oh, Larry, thank you. Thank you, and thank you again. I am another thing from Pee Wee to the pros. Follow the money. The Falcons just got on a salary cap hell. They have 65, what, mil plus. So they've got one of the biggest, they can go on one of the biggest spending sprees in the NFL, but it would be a huge mistake. This team is not close to being a contender. Uh, you know, Coach Smith did a great job getting multiple seven wins uh, seasons out of this group. A fantastic job. You have how many draft picks now you have? I mean, the Falcons have, let's see, I forgot they had one, four, eight, nine. They have nine draft picks. Here it is. I would take number eight, and I would trade down and get me some extra picks and, again, build the football team. There's enough quality players in this draft, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to keep building. I would not go out on a big spending spree if I'm Atlanta. You want to get Lamar Jackson? Great. You'll put fans in the seats, and you'll have, you know, people will be excited. But what does Lamar do when a ball's on his own 20 and there's 1 in 50 to go to the game? Do you trust his arm to pass down the field to win you the game? I haven't seen it on film yet, and I haven't seen it in a game yet. You need, look, Desmond Ritter's learning on the fly. Give another chance. Get a veteran quarterback in here to push him mentally and physically. Get him to mow the game more and build on the defensive side of the ball and get you some extra picks and trade down and stay away from potential salary cap hell because Lamar Jackson or, or the quarterback from the Raiders car is going to put you right back where you started from. Yeah, well, well I, if I were Atlanta, uh, I would focus on defense and trade and probably draft as many defensive players from the SEC with focus on the Florida Gators because I think that's going to get them the most bang for their uh, buck, uh, and that's where they need it most. You know, I, I like I like everybody's opinion on this. I do. I, I don't discredit anybody's sports opinion, but if you're Terry Fontenot, your job is to make this team better, and Lamar Jackson would do that. Now, do I want to go out as a fan and – put our team possibly in salary cap hell again? No. And that's where I draw the line. I We don't want to do that. We just got out of it. Larry mentioned it. Perfect scenario, perfectly mentioned by Larry. I think you get the baddest dude on defense at eight, and that helps your team more. We got to build around Grady Jarrett. The, uh, I shouldn't say we. The Falcons need to build around Grady Jarrett. They need to build around A.J. Terrell. They need to build around this defense and make it elite. Because pass rushing is the new defensive pressure. It's the only way to play defense. You can't you can't hand-to-hand combat after five yards if you're good, you know, no more Revis Islands. No, no, none of that exists anymore. It's getting after the quarterback. The number one and the number two teams in the NFL in sacks were in the Super Bowl last year. That matters. Get after the quarterback. Get after the opposing team's quarterback, especially. Get them on the ground, and they can't get the ball to the receivers. That's what I want to do as a Falcons fan. But, folks, Terry Fontenot would not be doing his job if he wasn't on the phone with Lamar trying to get a deal worked out that doesn't put the Falcons in cap hell for the next five years. And if everybody's happy involved, 
and it doesn't put the Falcons in cap hell for the next three or four years. If everything aligns, I am all for it. But guess what? That's not going to happen because we all know what Lamar wants. He wants it above the Sean Watson guaranteed money. And I don't think that's a fit in Atlanta. What I do think is a fit is building an elite defense with the nine. I forgot the ninth pick we acquired uh, for Calvin Ridley just a couple weeks ago when we traded him, I believe, Jacksonville or a month or two ago, whenever it happened. So, yeah, nine picks, build a solid defense, and let's move on from this Lamar Jackson saga because I do believe on March 7th, when it all comes down to it, Baltimore's going to franchise tag him, guys. It's just it's just a smart thing to do if you're Baltimore. He is the Baltimore Ravens offense inside and out. If he's not there, we saw what they can't do. They can't move the football. And John uh, John Harbaugh's going to say, now let's tag him. Let's keep let's keep this going for another year. We'll pay the forty two million dollars for a season and see what goes on. So uh, I, I think we are all in agreement. Don't sign Lamar. Don't put us in salary cap hell again and make fans wonder what's going to happen next. We're all in agreement there. Let's move on to the final topic real quick. We'll get to the Hawks. We'll spend about three minutes on this. The Hawks hired former Utah Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder to replace the fired coach Nate McMillan. How will Snyder navigate the difficult transition as a new head coach in season and during a possible playoff run? Todd, I'll let you start this one off, buddy. Well, it's not going to be easy. I mean, the Hawks don't play very good defense. So, (laughs) I mean, anytime you get a coaching change in midseason, you know, that's going to be very difficult. Now, the good news is he gets a five-year deal. The bad news, he's already in the middle of a season. And to me, the Atlanta Hawks, they have a Trey Young problem. Quinn Snyder's there to try to fix it one way or another. I mean, this is a, this is, this is just, this, this is such a troubled team. I mean, you know, they, they, they fire the coach in midseason. Now there's a transition. I mean, you look at the Hawks, they don't play good defense. I already stated that. You're going to have a new head coach dropping in the middle of a 500 team with three quarters of the season already completed. This is not exactly a professional basketball norm. I mean, and look, we look. We've already seen Trey Young and some of the issues that he's had. Uh, you know, getting along with folks and 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 coaches. Now we're going to see if Quinn Snyder can and turn it around. Uh, I mean, this is not this is not going to be an easy job at all. And I'm interested to find out how they do it. I know in pro basketball now what, 10 teams have a crack in the playoffs in each conference, which to me is ludicrous. But obviously, go back to Pee Wee to the pros, every answer in sports, follow the money, more teams for the playoffs, more money, more interest, yada, yada. So we'll find out what Quinn Snyder's really about. He does have a big, strong relationship and building, you know, building a relationship with his players well, here's the ultimate player problem building a relationship with, and that's Trey Young. And I'm telling you what, he's got his work cut out for him. I, yeah, I, I don't see the Hawks going anywhere this season. Yeah, Coach Snyder has a real difficult task ahead of him the last month plus of the season. The hardest part, you mentioned it, Todd, defense. The Hawks barely play any. Uh, near the bottom of the league, I think ranked 22nd out of 30 teams, allowing 117 points per game, which is absurd. Uh, Tuesday night, the Hawks lost Coach Snyder's debut 119-116 to the Wizards. The defense gave up 33 in the third and 34 in the fourth to a Kristaps Porzingis-less Washington Wizards team. So uh, that should have been a, a, a much easier win for the for the Hawks, who I think is a much more talented team from top to bottom than Washington is. The defense, again, it's the problem. Trey Young, another problem. One of eight down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Uh, he got one to go that caught him, uh, cut the lead to within one with about 30 seconds left. And then, well, we all know the rest of the story. So uh, one for eight in the fourth quarter is not what you want. Quinn Snyder's known for throwing up the threes, and I think that's why he was hired. 
because we do have Trey Young, who has unbelievable range, probably the best in the game besides Chef Curry over there in Golden State. So, look, you can't uh, you can't fault the guys for trying. They did miss two uh, Trey Young, especially missed two last second three point attempts to try and put the game into overtime. So, yeah, he's got his work cut out for him, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But Quinn Snyder's a three pointer guy, so. This could work, but I I think it will be till next year till you see the fruits of his labor pay off. Larry, what do you think, man? Quinn Snyder as the Atlanta Hawks guy, where does this team go in the playoffs from here? We're definitely a play-in t- a play-in tournament team. Um, I don't see them getting enough wins in these last twenty-plus games to get to the sixth seed to be able to compete in it. And I think Atlanta's problem is not necessarily just a Trey Young problem. It's I use the analogy, it's you're getting ready to build a house. Your mortgage lender is giving you X amount of money and amount of blue, and, a, and a set blueprint. And then you get ready to start building. And then when they come in and say, okay, we're snatching some of the money from you and you don't have as much space to build as you thought you did. Now you got to totally reconstruct the house. And that's literally what happened when they got rid of Travis Slinks. Travis knew Trey's limitations. Hence the reason why he drafted people that were long, lanky, and, and top-range defenders in Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter. You know, DeAndre Hunter, he knew that. Well, you, you mess around and you get an owner that says, hey, I want you to go all in. We'll go over the luxury tax if it makes sense. They get to the Eastern Conference Finals run, it, and, and the, the town's nuts. Well, then you start wanting to get your son into the mix, and then that's where you start getting some issues. Travis knew what he wanted to build when he started building his team. Now you're getting other voices in, and I love Jonte Murray just as much as anybody. But the Hawks gave up way too much for him. Way, way too, too much. You know? And I it's agree. not panned out the way most of us think or thought that it should pan out. And then you eliminated the one thing Travis loved, which was size. There aren't too many short backcourts in the league that do good things. The one team that did, that has some familiarity with it, is Utah under Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. But the caveat that he had was the reigning defensive player of the year and Rudy Gobert in the back, man in the middle. <laughs> Atlanta yep. does not have those things. <laughs> Quinn Capella does what he does best, but he's not Rudy Gobert. Quinn Snyder is going to have his hands full being able to take a run-and-gun, defensive-minded team that shoots a lot of threes into Trey Young, who wants to be the star. And I don't know if he, I don't know if he trusts his teammates enough to be able to give the ball off in crunch time because – Trey's problem really isn't the fact that he's capable of being a scorer. He just makes bad decisions at the inappropriate times. So if he can ever get his decision-making down to where he can trust his teammates, then and only then will I think Quinn Snyder will be able to take this team to the next level because I think he has the ability coaching-wise to do it. But will Trey Young allow himself to be coached by someone to help propel him to greatness? And that's what all of us as Atlanta Hawks fans are waiting to see. Well, you know what, gentlemen, the, the Trey Young experience, you mentioned it, Larry, it's just not going well. I mean, they need to fix it or cut the cord. And, you know, when you see the, the, the physics of what's just being set by this ownership group and those around them, they're still trying to understand this stuff. This is a huge challenge for Quinn Snyder. There is an opportunity. He, I think he's a really good coach, and he does a really good job of managing players. And getting you know what more than capable of what they're doing, but to me, I, honestly, with Trey Young and the way he plays, he, like you said, Larry, he doesn't trust his teammates. They he doesn't get along with teammates. He didn't get along with prior coaches. Do you think he's going to get along with this one? The odds are no, are, are low, and I think they're just going to cut cord with Trey Young and trading eventually. If, if 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 Quinn is going to be successful in Atlanta, it's going to come down to that. Is there any final thoughts on the Hawks or uh, anybody want to get in any comments that we missed uh, during the previous topics? Todd, Larry, Wayne? You know what? I'll say you know, we forgot to say, you know, Marcus Mariota was cut. So it was cut because of a salary cap. Did you, I didn't hear you say it. It's okay anyway. He's cut because of a salary cap move and, you know, paves the way for Young, or excuse me, Ritter Young, Ritter to be the starter. But, again, I bet the, the Falcons are going to bring in more than one quarterback. 
maybe they get a, a mid-level price veteran or a low-level price veteran to come in here and, and, and like you said, teach um, Ritter, help Ritter out. And who knows? I mean, you know, the quarterback situation, it's going to go three ways. Either Ritter's going to start or a veteran's going to start or they're going to draft. And if you draft another rookie quarterback, you're starting all over. You're taking a year away from contention. Most rookies do not come in and play well their first season. Peyton Manning threw, what, 28 interceptions his first season? So, I mean, to me, you got to build the team and then blend in the quarterback position. I like it. Well, that about wraps up our show for today. We always do a final thought of the night. I got two closing thoughts tonight. One surrounds Kevin Durant in making his son's debut as we speak on Tuesday, uh, Wednesday night versus the Hornets in Charlotte. And PGA Commissioner Jay Monahan announced earlier Wednesday that the PGA will move forward with eight events in 2024 that will feature less players and no cuts. And those players are estimated to be anywhere between 70 and 80 players. Many think this is a nod towards the old competition of live golf, which is very exciting and fun to watch. Shotgun starts. Everybody finishes and starts at the same time. Absolutely wonderful competition if you're a golf fan. That's my final thought, guys. I want to see Kevin Durant and Chris Paul team up and win one in a small market. There it is. Larry, your final thought of the show, man. Final thoughts. You're talking basketball. Let me go to football. Don't be surprised if you see Coach Smith make a call to one of his former quarterbacks, Mr. Ryan Tannehill, to come in and be the backup tutelage for Desmond Ritter. They already got a great relationship. He knows Ryan well. Ryan knows the offense well. Don't be surprised if you see that. Last off, basketball-wise, LeBron James getting hurt. We don't know the severity of the hurt or the damage of the injury, but nevertheless, it wasn't good to see him with the walking boot on last night. And, of course, how much longer can he avoid father time? We've seen his whole entire career become the man that he has been. I will give, continue to give kudos to LeBron. He's done tremendous things. But at one point, and we saw it this year with Tom Brady, father time always wins. Oh, there's no doubt about that. The night. Hey, hey, uh, hey, J.J.? Um, I'm sorry, before Wayne goes, uh, uh, Larry, they did uh, the ownership of the Titans said they're very comfortable, along with the coaching staff, having Tannehill as their starting quarterback this year. And one more, J.J., Clayton State, the women today, they won their quarterfinal game in the Peach Belt Conference. They'll play in the Peach Belt Conference semifinals tomorrow. And if they win, those, uh, they win the semifinal and the final, they will be in the NCAA D2 tournament. And so I'm very anxious for that because, uh, as you guys know, I was the voice of Clayton State men's and women's basketball this season. And who knows, maybe I'll be taking a bus trip. Wayne, your final thought for the show this evening, my friend. Well, you know, uh, the Memphis basketball season, the uh, University of Memphis Tigers uh, is wrapping up. We got one game tomorrow at uh, SMU. And then the last game of the season, a home game versus Houston. And we look to have uh, a nice big fat win against Houston to wrap up the season and head on into the tournament, which is going to be out there in Fort Worth at the uh, Dickey Center, which is a really nice place. Isn't Houston the number one team in the country? Holy smokes, man. That'd be a huge win for Memphis. To me, they could be a dangerous out in this NCAA tournament. What do you think about that, Larry, in Memphis? I mean, Penny's done a, a tremendous job with that team. Yep. And the one thing that I will say is having the number one ranking beside you has been almost a scarlet letter all season long. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and just you can just look over your shoulder at Alabama and see that. But I am so for, I'm just looking so much into what March Madness is going to be because there's not a clear cut front runner and it could nope. be anybody's opportunity to come away as NCAA champions or NCAA champions this year, including Memphis, you know, you don't, you don't ever know. We've seen some of the strangest teams catch runs during the tournament and, and go on and, and make it all the way. So I am super excited to see where this tournament goes. 
following way following so many different people, uh, Purdue included, following them. We got a couple of you know stars on that team as well. It's just everybody's so even keeled, and anybody can beat anybody. So I'm looking forward to the tournament. Looking forward to seeing how the uh, basketball tournament in March Madness eventually winds out. I'll give you a sleeper, y'all, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Michigan State and Iowa played this past Saturday. It was 101 to 101 at the end of regulation. <laughs> Iowa won that game in, in overtime, and they turn around and beat number 15, Indiana, 90 to 68. Iowa can score the basketball as good as anyone in the country. If they can play consistent defense, Look out, Iowa could be a dangerous out in the NCAA tournament. Well, Larry, I want to say thanks for coming on. I want to congratulate you again on the voice. Uh, Well-deserved to get the PA announcer job in Rome. Your voice is great. It matches perfectly. I can't wait to see what the future holds for you, my friend. And again, thanks for coming on ATL Prime Sports. For Larry, for TC, for Wayne in Memphis, This has been ATL Prime Sports. If you like the content, please like, subscribe, follow. We'll follow back. Get you one. We'll see you next week.